It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. PHNX Cardinals audio-only podcast. It makes its return, as do we. Bo Brock, Johnny Venerable. We've had roughly 48 hours, Bo Brock, to digest what I think is a pretty significant win for the Arizona Cardinals against the Denver Broncos Friday night preseason opener for the squad. Uh, Looking pretty good. Taking down the Broncos on a last-second touchdown pass from David Blau. Then, of course, the two-point conversion. You and I have yet to chat one-on-one about the game, but, I mean... Goodness, I, I think that there's plenty of takeaways that, that you can garner from this game, both positive and, and potentially negative as it relates to this Cardinal team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think overall, it just can, continues to fuel the process that Jonathan Gannon, his new coaching staff, Monty Osfor above them in the front office, what they're trying to instill on this organization. And, you know, albeit a preseason victory in the with two seconds on the clock, David Blau finding an undrafted free agent, Brian Cobbs, in the end zone and then cashing in on the uh, plunge for the two-point conversion aided by the offensive line on the kind of a secondary push. I think, you know, like Jonathan Gannon said in the post-game press conference, like they put in so much, you know, preparing for it, even though it's a preseason game, like to see it pay off in a, in a victory, I, I think that that's all you could ask for. And like, are, are we saying like the JG era – is going to be nothing but winning and we're going to get sick of winning. Uh, No, but I think that a lot of people uh, were excited with what they saw. I I think especially from the guys that they expect to see on the field to start the season, it was kind of a business, uh, a business kind of game for the first team offensively and defensively. And then kind of after that, you saw things unfold, like who's going to be really vying for some spots on this roster yeah. and some playing time going forward. Cause I think you can start to read the tea leaves on that. Yeah. And I get it. Like a lot of people coming after me in my mentions, which is fine. I can take it folks saying it's a preseason game, Johnny, you're, you're overemphasizing this. You're blowing it out of proportion. Okay. Would you have rather watched uh, a couple new coaches? I don't know, like Frank Wright, get his brains beaten in by the New York Jets, 27 to zero. Would you have preferred that for Jonathan Gannon's debut? And would we still be sitting here saying, Hey, it's, it's the preseason. It doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter. Are you buttoned up? Do you give a shit? Are you competing? Are young players playing well? Does Kentrell Clark look like a steal in the sixth round? Yeah. All that looks like to be the case. And so I, I just, I don't, I don't buy this narrative that if you can look good in the preseason, it does not matter. Like, I get it. Cliff Kingsbury's teams won preseason games. So did Steve Wilkes. I think they had a winning record that year. But, like, just the buy-in that they have, and and for Bo, like, there were some areas on this team I did not feel good about coming into Friday night. 
one of which was the front seven, specifically the defensive line, which looked fantastic. And the other was the interior offensive line for this team, I thought, and still kind of believe that it could be a liability at times. And then what you saw from Will Hernandez, and especially, we're going to talk about Yeldo Froldholt, gives gives you reason to say, well, wait a minute, they were so bad at the line of scrimmage last year on both sides of the ball. Could that be a positive this year? Could they really control games on Sundays? Like Denver's playing their starters on both sides of the ball. Like say what you want. It was not a bunch of twos and threes to begin that game. You've got Yelda Froldholt literally choke slamming Josh Allen to the ground. And everybody you know, from Denver in my mention saying, that's a hold BS. Will oh Hernandez held him. It's just like, do you guys watch the game? They just got destroyed up front. I mean, those are the things that if you're a Cardinal fan, whether or not they win 10 games or two games this year, like that's a positive. When when did Denver when did they become the worst fan They're base? They're so sensitive. They are the NFL Karen. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. It's from the Arizona Cardinals social team posting, you know, mixing a pair of viral videos of which you know, was, a, was a rare win for them that what? they should not have deleted. What the hell are you doing deleting that? I don't know. It's like, hey, you take two viral moments, you put them together, you had some fun after a dub. Like, can we just, can we stop being so sensitive here? Yeah. Uh, Russell Wilson working out on a plane and the plane lady who surfaced at the end of the weekend. <laughs> that's all I'll say. But hey, um, have you seen her? I mean, she, she, she had a nice apology video, which she did not need to put out. And the Cardinals don't need to make an apology right. for that, that social media. Absolutely. Post. From the don't term, apologize. that, to uh, anything that you, if you if you t- kind of criticize Russell Wilson and his poor f- performance, they'll, they'll point to the offensive line, which I don't disagree with. When I when I look back at kind of some of the tape from the film, that offensive line uh, was was not up to snuff, definitely not up to NFL standards. But yeah, if you can find some guys, not just serviceable, if, if Yelda Froholt can to take a hold of that starting center position and. Uh, maybe the only question mark you have on the offensive line is left guard. That's a big win because we knew that the tackles are talented, right? You, you've got yeah. two rounders at tackles. You've got DJ Humphreys, the vet now going into his ninth season. And then you've got this guy who projects to be a franchise left tackle and Paris Johnson jr. Who was fantastic at right tackle start his career. And then Will Hernandez, who was one of the most steady for the Cardinals last season, even though he dealt with the injury near the end. I mean, if you can kind of wrap up some of those question marks, especially in the interior of the offensive line, I mean, that makes that a strength uh, and it makes it uh, less. There, there's no questions as far as when Kyler Murray comes back and is healthy, you know, what he's playing behind, what kind of offensive line he's playing behind. Uh, we touched on this on the post game show. If you haven't checked out the post game show, uh, check it out here uh, on the uh, podcast stream, also on our YouTube page. But Bo, I, I think that the, the offensive line, has a chance to surprise. I think the running back situation is is a little bit of a, a cause for concern. Obviously, James Conner didn't play Friday night. I don't think he should play throughout the entirety of the preseason. We'll see if he plays Saturday against KC, but they need some juice in the backfield that yeah. I just don't think they have right now behind James. Somebody was tweeting at me today saying, we need Eno Benjamin back, and unfortunately, like Eno tore his Achilles and not going to play football this year, but like, I, I do think somebody like that, a Chase Edmonds, somebody that can get out in space, they just don't have that. And I think Keontae Ingram is is RB2 for now, but he projects very similar to James. And I, I just, they need that elusive open field runner slasher 
And I, I think it, they would be wise to, to find somebody because I, I going back and I knew you were watching the all 22 and there've been clips posted subsequently over this weekend. There were holes there. The yeah. offensive line did a nice job. I thought some of the backs, the, not to knock them, did, missed some holes, missed some cuts backs, missed some lanes that I think could have extended some drive for the Cardinals, which I think is a positive because typically we're saying there's, there's nothing there for the RBs to work with. Whereas like this group, Behind James, unfortunately, Bo, it's what we've kind of teased all summer. It looks pretty average right now. Well, it's the it's the it's training camp. It's preseason, um, and we don't really get injury updates. But whatever Keontae Ingram's going through, he's got to get back from it. I mean, that's the that's the guy who's really missing the biggest opportunity here. Who's yeah. guy who didn't dress on Friday night, and the Cardinals were pretty short staffed at the running back position. Corey Clement exits with an injury, uh, a non-disclosed injury, JG's figuring out, you know, what he said his cadence is going to be with injuries, how he's going to tell us what players are going, going, uh, dealing with. So you're pretty much saddled with Stevie Scott's not an option. He just signed like a day before because of the Marlon Mack injury. And then you've got, you know, Tyson Williams and you've got Amari Dermacato. And it's just like, that's all you had. Um, but you're right. You look at the, 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 the one because you you posted the yellow photo tape and he's making all these big blocks he's getting to the next level he's picking up on poor cornerbacks and he's blowing a guy off the field yeah and i think it was like tyson williams or Corey clement before his injury and he's cutting it back the other direction it's just yeah. like the vision's not there you know the the cut and go you're not seeing any of that you're seeing so too much east and west where it's just like the holes are there guys like just, yeah. just get them and you're looking for also the, the athleticism and, and speed to get there. And I just don't think it's there in that room right now. Is it there on the, on the free agent wire? I mean, at this point, probably not. There's guys that have been tied to a couple coaches in front office, like Dontrell Hilliard. Like, I don't know if he's the solution, but you, you know, we were discussing it. Like, do you, do you kind of set your sights a little higher now and that lanes are opening and backs who are, haven't opened enough eyes at, to this point in the offseason and the preseason. Like, why, why not come play behind a good line where you can put up some big numbers and eventually get a bigger contract? Isn't that what it's about? Isn't that what you're looking for? Opportunity and a chance to make more money? We talked about it on Friday. It doesn't sound like Kareem Hunt's an option, no matter the, the situation. It sounds like Zeke. I, I don't think it's an option. It could potentially be going back to Dallas. But, I mean, like, you know, if you follow, like, Casey and their fandom, like they're knocking Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Like, could you get a back like that on the cheap for a late round pick? Would you be willing to spend a seventh to, to help this year? Cause I, I don't think that's nothing. Like it, let's say James Connor is nicked up and misses a couple games in November. And by then you're, you've got Kyler, you're, you're trying to be competitive. Who knows what's happening? Like, I, I'm sorry. Like you can't start one of these guys that, that played Friday night and expect to be, taken seriously you talk about like not having a, an offensive line that's a liability like you have a back in there that misses misses a blitz pickup like that's an issue and so yeah. i i would love to see we're gonna get our, our first glimpse here on monday like are they trying people out or are they making some phone calls um i do think that they'll be scouring the the cut list the waiver wire there's always some surprises but marlon mack it just shows you i mean he looked really good before his injury his unfortunate injury like he would have been the guy behind James. I mean, it's obvious he probably would have had a really big night Friday night. I feel terrible for him because uh, he was poised for that, but flipping it to the other side and we tease it a little bit, Bo, the, just the play of the defensive line, the front seven. I, th- I just, 
you know, I touched on it Friday, the Dennis Gardeck situation with, with him going out and having a, you know, a, a sack almost, it was a strip sack really almost lost the ball. Did Russell Wilson, like the effort play there. Like, I, I think I've just been shortchanging this front seven because of the the talent that's not there specifically D tackle. But then I'm like, well, Jonathan Gannon and Nick Rollis know what they're doing. So yeah. maybe, maybe this unit can be ahead of schedule. What'd you make of that? And do you think that we're overblowing the situation up front with this team? Because there's been a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of snark as it relates to the names, but maybe they're they're underscoring the coaching that they're getting. Yeah, we, we've only talked to Rollis, you know, a handful of times. We get to talk to JG a lot. And in Rollis, it's tough to decipher, like, how much is hyperbole? You know, how much is he a young, energetic coach who's not counting anybody out? But, you know, he, he'd said, and we posted at PHNX underscore Cardinals on Twitter, a lot of our and all over our social media as far as his thoughts on the defensive line group and he thinks it's it's deep i don't think he he never mentioned anybody that was an overachiever or anybody that was that was standing out he just he liked it from top to bottom right mm-hmm. and normally when you hear that it's like nobody's winning the competition right but you saw it you know on display on friday night and you're like hey you know jonathan letter better lucky foe too uh, LJ Collier, like these guys are, are getting pushed. These guys, you know, against a bad offensive line, like Denver's left tackle has no business playing. And, and Zayden Collins was uh, running by that guy like he was standing skill, still. But, you know, you, you love what you saw. And, and the same thing goes like, it's it's not like what happened with the offensive line where it's like, how much money did Denver give to Randy Gregory? Would they give him $7 million in total? And Josh Allen got $15 million. Uh, on average a year and like those Mm -hmm. guys were getting pushed around by the Cardinals, you know, on the cheap offensive line. It wasn't, that. it was like, uh, you know, the the defensive line was going up against, you know, because Denver's down two starters on their O line. Like it's, it's tough. It's tough to give it a grade. And, but we're going to find out come Saturday. Right. Because I think against Kansas city, you're going to get a kind of a, a good kind of test a barometer of where this defensive line is. Could it take a massive step back? Could it get neutralized by a pretty talented group of O linemen in, in KC in a, in a good scheme? So I think we'll find out. The jury still remains, but I think guys showed like that they can win their matchup. And Nick Rollis and Jonathan Gannon are, are giving exotic looks, pressures from different areas. Like we were seeing two defensive linemen, three defensive linemen. Uh, I mean, they, they were rushing about four regardless if it was edge rushers or if it was mm-hmm. you know, D linemen and a couple supplemental rushers. It was it was impressive. It was. And you can only control who you're playing against. And I thought, you know, first test, it, it was it was uh, I think a lot of people um, did. Not, it, it was it was a lot more than people expected from that group. No doubt about it. Not to get too negative, but I went back and I rewatched the play where Rondell Moore fell in the yeah. slot with with Clayton Tune, and he did fall. Um, and I I don't know if I agree with like the mindset. Well, it's definitely a completion if he doesn't fall, but it's not an interception. I mean, it's a maybe a contested ball. Maybe the defensive back has a chance to break it up, make a play on it. But he fell, and it and it led to a turnover. It was right. To, it looked like a, a terrible throw from Clayton Tune. Um, I felt like he stared down quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. When I was watching a lot when I when I was watching it live, I felt, you know, before you really kind of saw how how brutal the more kind of getting taken out of the play by the turf monster. Um, you know, I I, I thought it, he he'd stared him down, but it's yeah. still you're right. It could have been a pass breakup or whatever. I mean, I, but the the point I'm trying to get to is like, and maybe I'm being too hard on him, 
Like how many how many chances is Rondell Moore going to get this year? Like because he that can't happen in a game, right? And he's he's already part of the prior regime, and he's got a stigma against him where he can't stay healthy, and he hasn't he hasn't lived up to his second round pick. Like is is there a scenario, Bo, that you think because I you know people were coming after Rondell Moore on on Twitter after it happened, and I think he's really lost a lot of support in this fan base. I know you know, fair or not, like friend of this program, part of this program now, like Greg Dorch is the the slot darling that people want to see. And Rondell Moore can help himself by producing, but he's not producing yet. And we've talked about it, like the big plays at training camp were not as pre- prevalent. You saw him every day. You said he looked good. But I just wonder, like, and I'm not putting him in this category because it's not fair, but like when Andy Isabella would struggle during a game – <laughs> but here, hear me out here. Okay. When he would fuck up, it was it was in the same kind of realm of like falling down, um, running backwards after you caught a first down marker, and then you go the opposite direction. Just like you're you're just not a winning football player. And I, I just I worry about Rondell Moore with this team right now because outside of just a, a 17 game season with he's healthy and he becomes a productive member of this offense, like. What's his year going to even look like? I, I it just not was not a great start for him Friday night, in my opinion. I know he had that nice catch and run, yeah. but then it's just like, hey, there's Rondell Moore who's small, hit the turf, and he causes an interception indirectly. I mean, what do you you think? I'm making too much of that. I think so. I think the fan base too. I, mean, I didn't know that there was this a lot of outrage around it, but I, but I understand that people are skeptical. A if if he can stay healthy and and can he consistently contribute can he live up to the second round selection that he was a couple drafts ago mm-hmm. um but you, yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna roast the guy because he fell down i mean obviously i, I hear you like should you start to question though is, is he uh is he a part of the solution or is he part of the regime that was was not that was going the wrong direction and i think when you just look at the performances before he got injured last year and i think that he just during that stretch he had done way more than Annie Isabella had ever done, you know, in his four seasons with, with the team. And, and I know that you're, you're that just as far as how people perceive him just because, you know, second round pick, just like Andy and high expectations, he's going to be this, you know, uh, under the radar and college guy, you know, not, not the traditional receiver type that Steve Kime had identified in the draft. And he was going to be the guy that was going to change the narrative there He's he's been just a little bit more productive, a lot more productive, but relative to Andy Isabella. But I, no, I'm not worried about Rondell Moore. I think he continues to be a guy that if, if he can be healthy, I think that he can be a contributor to this offense. It's funny. A lot of the national people who I guess don't talk to us, haven't listened to this show, were surprised from a, a fantasy perspective that he is not their number two receiver. Like when they had two wideouts out there, it was Zach Pascal and, and Michael Wilson. and. Mm-hmm. He's truly the the third option underneath in the, in the slot. And again, I just, I feel like he gets a, a little bit of a window because he doesn't have the abuse of the Cliff Kingsbury offense. And, and a lot of people want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like he won't be misused, but I, I you know, at some point it's just like help, help us win games or just get off the field. And, and that, I think that's kind of where I'm at with Ron, Rondell. Can you stay healthy? Can you be out there? Can you catch, you know, five passes for 65 yards on a Sunday and be a, a, par, a winning player. I'd like to see that, but I'm, you know, it remains to be I seen. Think, yeah. I think, yeah, I think 
he's shown that. I think he's shown that ability. And, you know, a lot of people get lost in, in the turnover and being a big part of the reason that the turnover happened on Friday. But, like, yeah, the, the play that he made before that where he was upset at himself that it could have been bigger, um, like, I think that, that that should be taken into this conversation as well. I mean, yeah. I thought that was a nice little catch and run. Yeah, shows what he's capable of. It just yeah. consistency is an issue. Um, not with this draft class, apparently, though. Um, so Clayton Toon, up and down, played well in the second half. We touched on it Friday. I, I think there were some nerves, especially with those throws in the flat that he usually makes in practice. I I, I think Clayton, had he played the fourth quarter, would have, I told you, this scored another touchdown. No concerns about Clayton Toon. Paris Johnson, we talked about him, looked fantastic. Michael Wilson caught both balls that were thrown to him. John Gaines was at least participating and was playing. And then Keetrell Clark had a 89.9 PFF rating with a 90 coverage rating mm-hmm. as a what? As a starter for this team on, on Friday night? I mean, it's just Rondell Moore, we stack him up against this rookie class, and it's just like the Cardinals just operate differently now. This draft class, it may or may not go down as, as an all-timer. I don't know. It's too early to tell, but it does at the very least, Bo, like, it's here to lay a foundation of like yeah. no picks are going to be wasted. Everybody's going to contribute. And man, it just, it's got to fire you up as a, as a Cardinal fan to see this, these contributions. Cause one thing it's like, how many times we hear about Michael Wilson, some of these guys, well, they're doing it against fellow Cardinals and we don't mm-hmm. think the Cardinals are going to be very good. And then you see them perform against Denver on yeah. national TV. It's like, Oh, okay. Grandy Gregory once upon a time was a Dallas Cowboy was second round pick, just getting Molly Wap by, Big number 71. It's just yeah. a different vibe with this rookie class. Yeah. You know, Paris Johnson Jr., nice day at the office. Uh, we didn't get to see B.J. Ujolari. Garrett Williams, of course, we know he's waiting to come off the, uh, NI, the NFI uh, from the ACL Terry suffered in October. He seems close, right? So he doesn't play. Michael Wilson, two catches, ho-hum. Uh, John Gaines, you know, he, so I think he saw the most snaps at center on Friday. He, he yep. was in there a long time for the most part. I think he was in there as long as Toon was in there. Um, you know, you, you look at how he graded out. I think he'd given up two pressures, two hurries in the game, and, you know, it was okay, but pretty decent for a guy that's getting back to playing a position he barely played in college at center. Um, Papo showed up, flashed here and there, and then Keytrail Clark was had a probably outside of Toon, the most impressive or in, in Paris Johnson Jr., probably the most impressive rookie performance on Friday night. I mean, that that pass breakup where he's laying out and people say, well, it's a bad pass. I mean, just him go full extension and, and to make it that kind of play. I can't think of anybody that Steve Kime ever drafted that can make that play. I just, I can't. And, you know, it's a testament to, <laughs> it's an indictment, but it's a testament to, you know, Monty Osfort and the the scouting background to the coaching because I know Jonathan Gannon had to have play a role in that a guy from his alma mater that played you know a defensive back and then he was he wasn't just you know gassing up because of those two things um, but that he saw something in Keytrail Clark that he could turn into a productive NFL player and I mean three total tackles I think quarterbacks were one for three cl- throwing Keytrail Clark's way I mean it, it was. It was a fantastic performance. The the only thing that he's got going against him is he's undersized. And if if he but he the, the competitiveness and what he's doing, you know, playing and play out and competing, I mean, that's all you can ask for. And I, I mean, is could it be too soon for him to start, you know, week one? 
not necessarily against Sam Howell and, and, but I mean, assignment against, you know, Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin might be a bit much, but I, I, I like what I saw from Keytrail Clark and you're right. I mean, you, there's no throwaway draft picks. There, there are guys that are there. I, Stills was in there playing snaps on the defensive line. He was part of that rotation by the end of the game. Like these are guys that I think are going to kind of push it to see, you know, potentially breaking camp with this team, like every single one of them. I just, Keytrail Clark, I'm going to be honest with you. For me, it was just like, yeah, it's special teamer. Can he make the team? We're just so numb to day three of the draft. Well, the draft in general with Kime. But it was literally like, let's take these picks and light them on fire on day three. They just mean nothing to this franchise. So then you have this six-rounder. Is he starting already? What's happening here? And then you go back, you're like, oh, he, he was a redshirt senior at Louisville. He's played a shit ton of football. He was a two-time ACC player, and he's got a bunch of robust statistics. I'm not going to read them off. Go look them up. But, I mean, he's just every year super productive. I get it was Louisville, but it's like you could. he's just a polished player. So, like, is he ever going to be, like, a top-end corner? Probably not. I mean, who knows? But it's like, can he go out there and be, like, serviceable? Can he go out there and, and like, be a, a, a nice player over the f- four years of his rookie contract? I mean, that, think about it. The bar has just been so low for these draft picks under this franchise now it's just like we've if you think about it, it's like well we think garrett williams can play um i, I think gannon knows he can marco wilson i i'm higher on than most people antonio hamilton had a really good night for himself friday night and even though bo i don't, I don't know if you know this or not you probably do but he was gonna be our player of the game on friday mm-hmm. even at without that pi like i thought he played really well that's a tough that, call yeah, stepped in front of that pass, had a couple pass breakups. Like the cornerback room, it's just like, why, why are we doubting Jonathan Gannon with defensive backs? Like, I, I get it. Like, there are going to be some Sundays where this group struggles because of the lack of pass rush. Maybe the pass rush doesn't show up. BJ Ojolari hits a rookie wall. Zavin has a tough day. And then just guys are open. And because it's the NFL and they got to face DK Metcalf and Cooper Cup, and it's going to be tough. But it's just like, it's. It, we should we should not be surprised, I guess, that the defense and these young players are buying in. Like I thought, Chris Barnes played well, and he's a guy that a lot of people are excited about coming over as a veteran. Has had some nice games in the NFL. The, is it, the defense just going to be like the Island of Misfit Toys, just like two to three year contracts, minimal, undrafted, late round picks, and occasionally they'll sprinkle in, you know, a, a big time, you know, defensive tackle in the first or second round. It feels like that that's kind of where this is headed. Because like I want, I didn't tweet this out, but it's my kind of my theme of this game and then this weekend. It's just like the defense truly feels ahead of schedule for me. The defense had a had a good week of practice and they had a good game. The offense, in my opinion, and this is like no shit, Johnny. I think mm-hmm. is going to be very quarterback dependent. And if Kyler Murray comes back and plays well, it's like this team could surprise people this year. But if Colt McCoy or Clayton Tuner, David Blau comes in and they struggle, then the Cardinals are going to struggle. But I, I do think that they can play pretty good complementary football if if the offense can can put together those kind of drives where you're like, okay, maybe you don't get points, but you're flipping field position, two or three first downs, you're eating up clock. They won time of possession, bow by 11 minutes, 35 to, to 24. That's the recipe for this team. Mm-hmm. And don't turn the ball over. Yeah. I mean, I did, for this team to be successful this year, that's what they have to do. Well, with that the front seven playing like it was, I mean they weren't they weren't effing around like they were they were. If the offense wasn't dialed in, they were going to force them off the field. It was yeah. going to be 
three and out. And if they made a mistake, there was a player in the right position to do it. Like the days are over where, I mean, we saw it, we saw it on full display on Friday <laughs> night when VJ, I mean, are you shocked that a, a, an offense against Vance Joseph was on the field longer than his it, death the, by a thousand cuts? It was yeah, just like vit, vit, brutal. Vit. brutal. Those days are done. I, and I don't care what your personnel is like these. And like, you can talk about, you know, biases and stuff like that, but Jonathan Gannon, the DNA of your coach. Yeah. He's a defensive coach and it's, he lives for it. And he, he's, he's not going to try to have a favorite kid, but he's got a favorite kid. Okay. Like everybody knows it. Right. Uh, so, and it's the defense and that's, and that's fine because that's going to, especially when they've got an under par roster, it's going to keep them in games. Yeah. If they, if they play, you know, his, his style of football, that, that violent, smart, you know, versatile defense, it's going to be, it's going to be big for them. And, uh, you know, it's going to come down to them picking uh, the, the right 53 guys to do that and, and giving him the ability to do that. It's, it's interesting. I was, I was looking back as you were kind of talking and joking about kind throwaway picks, it's like a couple of years ago, it's like Tay Gowan. Remember that name? Everybody was, I think Minnesota is going through Tay Gowan uh, craze Trade for Zach Ertz. That's right. But he's played three or five games in the NFL. James Wiggins, Mike, uh, Michael Manette out of Penn state, like, just punt it. You absolutely just punt it on, on the third day of the draft. It's in, in those days are done. That's great. Um, so it, I do, I, I agree with that. I think the defense is, is in a really solid spot ahead of schedule and you're going to get some unique production from places that you weren't expecting. And that's a testament to the, the coaching and also the GM getting the guys out there that can come that had zero expectations. The Cardinals are going to get production from. I want to end on this, unless you've got some additional stuff you want to cover, my man, because we didn't get too much time to chat Friday night. But Jess Root, friend of the program of Cardswire, put out an article, some surprises to watch for. Um, and he suggested that two players, Kime draft picks, of course, could be cut before the end of, of preseason. And those two players are Josh Jones and defensive tackle Rashad Lawrence. And I, I think it would be foolish to do both, but I wouldn't be surprised, especially with, with Lawrence. Now, you, mm-hmm. I had forgotten. I thought Josh Jones had started at left tackle, and then you reminded me pre-show it was Kelvin Beecham. Regardless, and I, I know he had his ups and downs, I, just, I think Josh Jones is, is too valuable of a depth player to just discard. Um, but, man, the Rashad Lawrence situation with him, like he's in there – and like with the end of the game with the, with the threes and the fours in the fourth quarter, like, and I, I think I, I didn't see it, but I saw somebody tweet off. Like he was like jogging off the field and almost caused the team with a penalty. Um, mm-hmm. Cause he didn't get off the team fast or f- the field fast enough. So it's just like, it feels like Rashad Lawrence is, is one of the guys that's just going to be in JG's doghouse until he's not, because he's not yeah. on the team. Until he becomes that, you know, SCC ass kicker that we thought, you know, he was capable of doing. And he was, I thought he was a decent player for this team last year, yeah. right? So I'm surprised, you know, when I saw the the initial depth chart come out and take it with a grain of salt, but, you know, third all the way down at the nose tackle position where I thought this was going gonna to compete for starters reps. Um, but, you know, it goes back to what you said a long time ago, you know, in this offseason. It's like you're a carryover from this previous regime. If you're a former draft pick, you're on notice. If your name's not Kyler Murray, you're on notice. You have mm-hmm. to perform. You have to perform camp you have to perform in practice you have to perform in the preseason and i can't tell you 
if number 90, like where he's flashed. And, you know, I think that that's, that's, that's going to be big. When, when you got guys coming in hungry, like you got LJ Collier coming in a, a, a first round, not, you know, not bus, but in Seattle, he was a guy that didn't live up to first round expectations. You got Jonathan Ledbetter who got an opportunity from the Cardinals is not going to relinquish it, you know, as, as a guy that didn't get a lot of hype going you know, in, in, as far as an NFL starting defensive lineman, he's not going to, give up his spot. Uh, it's, it's, it's really cool to see lucky Fotu work his way into a role where I think I, I speak for myself. I think you're probably here with me. There is like, I didn't have any expectations for lucky Fotu. I would have had Lawrence ahead of Fotu. He's bad under Vance Joseph. He's yeah. not a good player. So, uh, it, it's surprising, but it, you know, seeing now depth chart, how he was utilized in the first game of the preseason, how late he was playing. You know, I think that he's, He's walking on on thin ice, and then Josh Jones is a little bit. I mean, same draft, right? Josh Jones was third round. Yeah, Charles was one of two fourth round picks. Him and Lecky, um, you know, Lawrence would or Jones. Who, shocker, Kime said he had a first round grade on Jones. <laughs> Took him seventy second. I mean, I, I love the pick. I was, yeah. it, it was who I wanted in the second round. They didn't have a second that year because D Hop. It's it's crazy though. I mean. Basically, every day in camp, he was the second team left tackle. Beecham was right tackle. And then so DJ Humphreys doesn't play to start the game or doesn't play in the preseason opener. And Jones is starting at right tackle. And Beecham is at left tackle. And Beach played a bunch at left tackle that game. Mm -hmm. And Jones, like, he played right tackle. He didn't necessarily play well. He's penalized. I think he was giving up some pressure. So, yeah, I think it's just. He's, he's going to have to perform better here going forward. I think that that's, I, I, I still like, I'm still in camp with you where I think like he can, he's, he's one of your better offensive linemen still on your team. Mm-hmm. I think what kills him is his lack of versatility and he's not a better option than Calvin Beecham. And would they maybe go on the side of somebody who could move inside? Cause Jones can't move inside. And that that could that could be you know his demise at the end of the day. What do you think? Could they could they deal him player for player and get some help running back, D tackle, one of these positions that they're struggling in? Because it's just like I I would have thought Jones was the swing tackle, and then Calvin Beecham as the ones, and then we know Beecham can play right tackle because he's been playing it since he got in Arizona, and Calvin Beecham from this front office got a two year deal. So it's like, and we we know Humphreys. We 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 want to believe he can play seventeen games. Does anybody think that's going to happen? I, you know, I hope for his sake it does. But it's like Kelvin Beecham, if he's the swing tackle, he's going to play this year at some point. So, yeah. um, I think but, Josh Jones was getting the Isaiah Simmons light treatment this training camp and hasn't taken advantage of it. And I think you know it felt like he they were going to give him every opportunity to be that swing guy. And for whatever reason, he hasn't been able I mean, to take advantage of it. They got to know, though, they if they cut Josh Jones, he will get claimed. I, I would bet my 401k he would get claimed and he will start games. I don't know if he'll start from the gate, but he'll start games for people this year. Yeah, but like, will he ever break through and become that full-time that, starter that, guy? Well, that's, that's where you got to go, hey, I'm going to dip into my surplus here, see if I can help my team, or, or even if it's, or yeah. if it's just a draft pick. Because we talked about it pretty pretty in depth this offseason like is it worth it to keep him and keep four tackles let him walk as a free agent next fall next spring 
and get a comp pick for him because you're going to get a comp pick for him, whether it's a fifth or a sixth round comp pick. Austin Ford is pretty shrewd. Like I would, I would think that that would appeal to him more so than just getting rid of him on a on a roster. I mean, let's be honest. I would rather this team keep four capable tackles than let's keep an extra linebacker from Virginia Tech or Wyoming at the bottom of the roster to help on special teams. It's like, oh, what are we doing here? Especially when you're talking about Kyler Murray, who needs as much protection as possible coming back from um, his his injury. So I don't you know. Gotta I are smart about you gotta it. Have a center, right? You've got to have a backup center for Yelda, despite our, us being optimistic about Yelda's making the all pro team this year. Yeah. Despite his, <laughs> but you know, you've got to have, you probably carry gains and F line, right? Yeah. Cause gains is complete. Well, they said F line can play guard too. So there, right. I mean, there's, and then you've got Hernandez and Wilkinson. Is that your, is that your interior group? But, and what what's the big, the most shocking thing about Jones is like, you're going to, Value a guy like Dennis Daly potentially over Jones just because Austin Ford's got familiarity with him. Got familiarity and he's got versatility. Like he's not ask anybody in Tennessee the worst tackle ever. Did he play Friday? Yeah, he did. He played some. He he was playing like that sixth offensive lineman position. He was coming in. He was an eligible receiver. Um, Yeah, yeah. He was like the sixth guy in the line, Um, and and I think he saw some time at the guard, but. Uh, I, I think, you know, him being able to play all those different spots, does that give him an edge? You know, that second team or in third Monty team, have any, like Monty doesn't think it like, Oh, if, if I can't, like, if I can't get anything for Josh Jones, dang, like, I don't think he cares. Like it's not his problem. I guess that's, I just don't want to be in the. I get D Hop. He's over thirty and he's expensive and he's not a culture guy in your locker room. I still think a, a, a tackle who's been very capable as a spot starter to just give him to another team yeah. in his mid twenties is is a tough sell. Rashad Lawrence is a different story because, I mean, like it's just, he's in a doghouse with the head coach. It it seems like we're. You know, I, I hope Josh Jones turns it on these last couple. I think, I mean, fuck, man, he's going to play a ton these next two preseason games. Like he, he might play the entire game against the Vikings at this rate, but um, lot to discuss. I mean, Froholt to me is just, I did not get the sense watching that he had the kind of the game that he had. And you listen to this podcast, you watch the show. I was ready to jet set that guy right after they signed Pat F line. This 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 motherfucker is not ready to give up this job quite yet. I mean, he those those clips. If you haven't found them, check them out on our Twitter, PHNX Cardinals. They're circulating on on the Twitter streets. What what he did to Zach Allen in particular. I mean, Zach Allen, his homecoming to to the, to the Cardinals did not go as planned. He he got blasted on two separate occasions by Will Hernandez, and then Yelda Froldholt literally picked him up off the ground and threw him to the ground. It's like. Do, do the Cardinals have something with this 26 year old? Could this be their version of like a Corey Lindsley where it's like a guy doesn't pop until his late twenties and then he just, and he becomes an all pro. I mean, like could, could, are we overplaying this? Could he still be a liability this year? Cause I have not, I have not seen a Cardinal center do that in about 25 years. Lyle Senline couldn't do that. Rodney Hudson's old ass couldn't do that. I mean, that that's not nothing, right? It's encouraging. It really okay. is, but he he also was a guy that, you know, he started in the SEC, went to Arkansas, and then he was in Cleveland for a couple of years. Never got a real opportunity. Like, why that? Why did that not, never happen? You know, it's not like Cleveland was 
over like flowing with, with offensive line prospects at any time um, outside of Joe Thomas. But I mean, I, I think that this is like, and I love this, like the accountability they brought in guys with experience behind them. Right. Mm-hmm. But th- this is a guy that said, we're going to give you this chance. We're going to give you this chance. that You've never received your NFL career. Don't fuck up. Cause if you do, we'll bring somebody in and Froholt isn't messing up yet. He's, he's holding on to it. And uh, you have to like, you have to appreciate that, you know, the respect from Petsing, I'm sure a lot of it, he brought him with him, I would think. And, and Gannon, giving him that opportunity in Froll to, to take advantage. It's great. And to see him like, I, I like Josh or Zach Allen. I really did. And, but to see him go get all that money, all that guaranteed money to go to Denver uh, and just go to the highest bidding team and really not even, he, you know, I don't know what the communication was with the Cardinals, but for him to kind of have do nothing. And then like, like all this hype through camp, it's like, of course he's dominating against Denver's offensive line. They suck. Like, if, like, like all the things we're hearing about Zach Allen, like, can we believe it anymore? Because like Denver's so bad on the offensive line, but no, Froholt, I think that's something to, to, to obviously keep tabs on. But I think he, I mean, step one of a three game evaluation, he, I think he did a great job. Any final takeaways from this game? We didn't touch on, I mean, it, it's going to go down as a, as a, I think a really strong start for this era no matter how if they even if they look like shit this weekend against kc kc like to do that in front of your home fans any anything else we didn't touch on i don't think so i think you know i think we can if we don't get to it uh obviously tonight we can get to it monday afternoon but um yeah i mean we'll see what they do as far as that i think what we'll see what the status as far as Corey clement is will they add a running back already touched on that and then you know, the, the thing from Jess Root and Cardswater, very interesting to see two guys that have been in the mix for starting a bunch of games for this team the last couple seasons could be on the chopping block. And then when do the Arizona Cardinals make a decision on the three triplets on PUP, specifically Kyler Murray, who uh, I think, I mean, they got about, what, a two-week window before shit gets real. Uh, does it get real this week? Do they make a move? Uh, of course, find out. Tune in every single day, 4.30, PHNX Cardinals live. Myself, Bobrock, training camp is over. Practice is now moved to Tempe. We don't move. We're still here. Thank you so much for listening. Like and subscribe. Leave us a five-star here wherever you get your podcast. And uh, we'll see you on Monday. For Bobrock, I'm Johnny Venerable. Peace. <laughs>